0: This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and we're talking today about what might be called an odd couple. Sounds like us. Eh, We are odd, all right. But not us today. Actually, some people say one member of the couple is on the downward slide. That sounds like us, all right. Well, that would be both of us. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> we're Fair talking enough. about Pinot Noir, the cool wine in town, uh, yes, and poor old, often insulted Merlot. Hmm. They've been linked forever by the movie Sideways, just like Paul's reputation will be forever linked with mine because of this show. Oh, God, that's a horrible I'm um, Sorry, Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. <laughs> I'm Paul Wagner. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is Bottle Talk <laughs> with Rick and Paul. Today, we'll talk a little bit about the Sideways effect, but mostly about Pinot Noir and Merlot, two grapes we like a lot— We also have some crucial moments in wine history, some particularly horrific wine mining, and we will take lots of questions from listeners, some of them related to these very subjects. Plus, with all of that, we're still going to find time to make fun of wine stops. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're starting by going sideways. Uh, we're going sideways, or we're talking about the movie sideways? Well, we always go sideways, but in this particular case, we are actually talking about the movie, just uh, just, for, just for a change. So the movie sideways will forever be linked to Merlot and Pinot Noir in the minds of a lot of folks, anybody who's seen the movie anyway. Um, and legend has it that it turned Pinot into a star and Merlot into a fading starlet never to
1: rise again. It's not exactly the truth, is it? No, in fact, Merlot is doing quite well, and and is still the third most popular wine in America today, and very happy about and, it. And
0: pretty good stuff. And pretty we will good talk stuff. more about that in yeah. just
1: a sec. But we, for anyone who hasn't seen it,
0: uh, the very short description of Sideways is, of course, this these two guys on a uh, a wine tasting trip. Well, one's a, one's a aficionado, one's a beginner. They're in Santa Barbara wine country. That is Paul Giamatti, Thomas Hayden Church. Uh, Miles and Jack in the movie and there is a moment when Miles as Paul Giamatti the wine snoot uh, goes on a rant I won't use the word because we are a broadcast show about why he, he's not drinking uh, any that, more uh, blankety
1: blank Merlot blank blank. blank. right, mm-hmm. right.
0: Um, and so uh, it has really hurt well legend is it really hurt Merlot but this is also uh, the movie is also much about uh, Miles's, uh love of Pinot Noir obsession obsession with Pinot Noir, with Pinot Noir a, a finicky and delicate grape which he uh, basically, he uses it as a metaphor for his own uh, self, um, and he should, he should be so lucky. He Pinot should be Noir so is lucky. much more attractive yeah. yes. than he is. Yes, although I, I think he's rather an adorable guy. Um, <laughs> in any case, so that's the that's the background. Um, the The first part of the of the legend of Sideways is is somewhat true, which is that it did give Pinot Noir a, a a big boost in the market.
1: Yes, yes, and you I know we we still see it, right? Still see it. Well. Maybe not because of Sideways, but Pinot Noir is still one of the fastest growing grape varieties in California. Um, it's up another 10 percent this year. The biggest challenge, I think, to to having p- Pinot Noir become even more popular is it's a nasty little grape to grow. It's hard to grow. It often doesn't do well. So you can't grow it My, everywhere.
0: Miles' precise point was that it, it takes right. care.
1: You have yes. to really pay attention. And there are a lot of places where it simply won't make good wine. So with all of that in mind, it's still gro- going gangbusters and people are still falling in love with it, I assume, because Netflix is still letting people watch yeah. that movie. Yeah. Well and you know what else is
0: about it and I think and actually I think it also fits sort of what's happening in the wine world which is that newer newer wine drinkers coming in often either young people or people who didn't drink wine um and it it sort of fits the um the inexperienced palate in some ways because it is a gentler wine in many ways than some of those big giant things like cabernet it is there's a silkiness to it Um, The flavors, it doesn't have this
1: big tannins. It can have this impression of sweetness without being at all sweet. But but ironically, remember that when Merlot was made as an independent varietal, the first thing people said about it was, it's like Cabernet without the tannin. Yeah, So it's always a story that, no, no, what people are looking for is the intensity of red wine without the tannin. Right. What should they taste? Well, we sold them Merlot under those circumstances. We sold, sold them Syrah under those circumstances. Now we're selling them Pinot Noir. And ultimately, we're also selling these big, rich, sweet red blends, all of which the promise is you get the flavor of Cabernet, and you don't have to put up with those nasty tannins. Meanwhile, if, have you tasted Cabernets recently? They yeah. don't have that much tannin to begin with. They're made in a softer style. and The whole world's moving that direction.
0: Right, right. Absolutely true. The, um, and so the thing about Pinot, though, is that there, there is also, um, I, I always use the term sexy, and you know we, we often make fun of wine writers who use the term sexy when talking about wines, but I I think if there was one wine that it's, it has this silkiness to it, and it can yeah. have these sort of layers that you can get lost well, actually, in.
1: Well, actually, that silkiness is all the Pinot grapes. So Pinot Gris has it, Pinot right? Grigio has it, Pinot Blanc has it, because it's actually—I think it's in the DNA of the grape. Yeah. It is it is actually a, a richer, softer feel in the mouth. You know, we the, got a question on that very
0: subject. That oh, we're good. going to answer it in a bit. Um, okay. But uh, when we get down to our questions. Um, so that's that's one of the great things about Pinot Noir. And, and it has also been— um, it, it, but it has its own issues now as a as a wine on the market, in some ways that for the same thing that's happened to Merlot, which is that. It like you said, it's a difficult grape to grow. It yep. needs specific kinds of regions. It needs to be cool, but not super cold. Right. It needs some sun, but once again, can't be too particularly hot.
1: Right. And, and it, it's, it's not a huge producer either. Not a huge producer. So as, it, you tr- as you try to as you try to meet the demand, people are planting it in a lot of places that if you and I sat down with a couple of professors from UC Davis and said, "Where are the perfect places to they plant?" peanut? They wouldn't sit with us. They. They know better. <laughs> Fair enough, but if, if, if we sent them this message and they answered it, yes. they would say, you know, that place, that place, that place, all of which are being planted to Pinot Noir, right. I mean, probably not great Pinot Noir country. Right, right. And what that's going to do... Is we're going to see over the next ten years a lot of pinot noir come out of the marketplace that's relatively inexpensive and probably not all that good. And in about ten years, you're going to see a movie called not sideways, but up and down, in and, or out. In inside and out. out, inside out, inside yeah, out. That'll be. And yeah. the yeah. main character there He's is going to say, "The one thing he isn't going to drink uh, yeah, is any more uh, blankety blank uh, pinot noir." That's right. Um, you know, it's uh, uh, it,
0: that it. Exactly the the well, it's not it's not fallen yet, but. Um but that's exactly what happened to poor old Merlot, Yes, which is Merlot burst on the, the California scene, burst on the American scene, and um, the, the, we can almost put a date on it, which was 1991. The, the, the French paradox, uh, it was October, November, 1991, 60 Minutes, French paradox, which sort of
1: awakened America that, that there are some healthful benefits in drinking red wine. Although I do need to point out that the first vintage-dated varietal Merlot was made back in the 70s. Oh, yeah. I, I actually did some work for a winery that produced that wine giving yeah. away your age yes absolutely uh, right um uh, but it uh in any case it it became the wine that when as
0: america started turning to red wines right. it was an easy wine for america to turn to and so two things happened which was one exactly what we were talking about which is that people started growing a lot of it in places that it didn't do best right and two they also sort of dumbed it down they softened it even more you know, which Probably
1: spent... aiming to sell it to you and me. Yes.
0: Well, certainly the dumb part. That's, <laughs> that's the part that works. Um, and so it ended up being this sort of, which is, uh, unf- you know, you mentioned it earlier on, which helped into our friend Syrah, right. this sort of sweet, jammy Syrah. Yep. But but once people sort of, uh, their palates evolve past that, not everybody's does,
1: but many people do, they, they stop liking it. And its I don't even think it's a question of evolve. Some people like it. Some people don't. Right. I mean, to me, there's a deep, deep, deep issue here, uh, which is people saying, I don't like red wine, I've tasted red wines and I don't like it, what red wine should I drink that I will like?" And the answer is, if you don't like red wine, don't drink and red wine. And don't feel wine. you need to. Don't right. feel you need yes. to. It, 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 this is not, it, we're not uncool if you just drink white wine. Um,
0: you know, one of the things, I did a story once where I called a bunch of winemakers, Napa, Sonoma, some really pretty big time folks um, who made both, Why did they talk to you? It was, they mistakenly picked up the phone. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it, it, I was, I'm as surprised as you are. <laughs> yeah, um, I bet. And what I said was, um, if you, not your own, because of course you know your own wines, but somebody else's well-made Merlot and their right. well-made Cabernet could you tell the difference? Right, and they all said no, uh-huh. and, uh and and the reason why they said no is because they basically have like sort of the same characteristics. Although my description of it is is, is to like think of it as the same set of furniture, and the Merlot is is a, is a. Couch or the soft chair, and, right. the, and the cab is the harder chair, more edges, right. but fundamentally the same. All they're of both the things, chairs. They're both chairs. They're both chairs. And, 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 yeah. and everything that you like
1: about one, you would like about the other. We're really talking almost a body, a little bit of an edgy body difference, but only a little bit. Well, here's an interesting little you're, you're the one who always likes studies. I saw a study the I other love day studies. where mm-hmm. they called up a bunch of American wine drinkers and they said, What wines do you like to drink? They didn't ask what did you buy in the last month. How much of what they just said? List the wines you like to drink. You know what was number one? Our palmer merlot. Yeah. Well, yeah.
0: you know we we did. Speaking of studies, we had one here uh, a few episodes ago, uh-huh. and it was you know list all of the wines that you like. Right. And number one was merlot. Too. That's right. Yeah. Merlot. Yep. Yep. Uh, and number two was chardonnay. And so you know, as as an aside, you know the the wine that uh, that so many wine critics refuse to write about. Because uh, it's not cool. They're not cool. Because they're miles. Because they're miles. Exactly right. (laughs) Don't be miles. Isn't that sad? And and so that's unfortunately what, you know, so a little bit of what, Sideways did have some but very small impact on Merlot. It mostly had its impact on Pinot. What was happening to Merlot at the time was that people were sort of moving away from the badly made ones. But what the good news is, is that there are a lot of really terrific Merlots on the market and probably more than ever.
1: Yep more than ever Actually you can a, find very a, good one a good time to be drinking merlot absolutely yeah. you know i i do I,
0: I one of the tastings that i do sometimes is i do is, you know blind tasting for there is semi blind tasting for um like you know, What's that? One groups. eye closed. Yes, exactly right. Uh, um, no, I pour blind, so <laughs> I, I've, I got see. An, I, I got a thing on my. I can't, so I get them in the lap. and I. <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
1: You get it all. No, over the No, it's where room. I
0: tell them some of the wines. I don't tell them some of the others. Got it. So they get a, a flight of uh, of three wines, and I say, "This is our Cabernet flight." Uh huh. And but I don't tell them. I said, "But this is not all just Cabernet." Right. And then I taste. I they have them taste three, and I say, right. "Which one do you like best?" Yep. They massively like you know uh, uh, you know. Sixty percent of the room always likes the Merlot best. Then mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. others are split on say the Cab or Cab Blend
1: or something like yep. that. You know, the uh, secret to drinking Merlot though is you really want to avoid lifting up that spit bucket the way Miles did in the tasting room. Bad move. It. That is a bad move. That's not. You don't yes. want to do that. Yes.
0: And so, uh, so if uh, if you're out there, this is our advice is, um, don't be Miles. Don't be Miles. Don't drink out of the spit
1: bucket. That's right. And and give Merlot a try. We think we think you'll be happy if you do. Well, don't forget. Don't forget that the wine he drinks at the end of the film that he's been saving yes. for a generation yes, is the Chateau, is Chateau a, Cheval Blanc. It's half Merlot and half Cabernet Franc. Yes, which so. is the other wine he makes fun of. That's right.
0: And I, you know, the uh, I think there's a bit a bit of irony in that. Um, but the um, I've had it. I've heard it interpreted another way too. Uh, is that. In the When the book was originally written, it was also written with this notion that he didn't want to drink Merlot with um, other women because of the Chateau Cheval Blanc-like wines that were Merlot-based, that he didn't want to share because he was so still in love with his wife. He, didn't Rick, want to, he wanted you, to share with other you're women. You're sounding like Miles here. I'm just saying. Uh, never mind. All <laughs> right. Uh, don't, don't be don't Miles. Be miles. And, uh, don't and be Miles. Don't be Miles. That's but it. But do drink Merlot. Please. Not because we told you to. Because it tastes good. It tastes good. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Next up, we'll take some questions. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. It's time to open our mailbag, take a few questions from listeners, and if you'd like to ask us a question of your own... You can go to Rick and Paul Wine, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And by the way, look for us on iTunes. You can subscribe for free with just one click. If you're new to us, by the way, you might want to know what qualifies us uh, to answer questions. And if you've been listening... You probably have even more questions. You probably have even more of those questions. Yeah. My kids certainly have those questions. Nice. Everybody I know asks the same thing about me. Paul is actually a respected industry pro. He answers questions on allexperts.com. He teaches at Napa Valley
1: College. He judges. He teaches around the world. Sometimes he teaches on cruises, of which I am very jealous. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. And Rick, of course, best selling New York Times author, uh, writing books about the wine business. Uh, longtime journalist and, of course, wine commentator on Cap Radio. So you get to say stuff on the air. Yeah, that's true. Thank Capital Public Radio, by the way, for use of the studios.
0: Well, our first question is from our friend Jill McCarthy in Fresno. She's back with another cool. one. And by the way, people, see what happens. You listen to us a couple times. You send us a question. You become a valued friend. We will take friends any way we, we can We really get them. need them. We really do. But in any case, Jill asks, what's the difference, and this is what we were talking about a little bit earlier, what's the difference uh, yes. between Pinot Grigio and Pinot Gris, or is there a difference, and is there a connection to Pinot Noir? So first part is the Grigio Gris question, and the answer is they are, of course, the same grape, but it's different It's different names, Italian versus French, right.
1: but also different styles.
0: Yes. So well,
1: not, not of course. A lot of people don't know. Pinot Grigio and Pinot Gris are, in fact, the same grape.
0: Yes. So I take the of course out because that was a little snooty, wasn't it? Yes.
1: Well, that's some. you know, you got to be careful. That usually I'm more on the stupid eh. side rather than the snooty side, so, <laughs> so I'm trying to balance. But in terms of how the wines are made, I'm not sure there's a distinctive difference. Um you yep. People in Oregon seem to have chosen Pinot Gris over Pinot Grigio. You know, for
0: a very long time, it's changed, but the law in Oregon was that you could only label it Pinot Gris.
1: Uh-huh. And yep. that was that, that's yep. that, that but that there's, gone. But I think there's also a marketing distinction because they were under the impression that Pinot Gris perhaps had a little more cachet, so mm-hmm. they could charge a couple... You could charge a couple extra dollars for a French that, name over an Italian <laughs> name. I, if I was Italian, I would not be happy about that. Well, there you go. Mm. I'm, I'm sure Mr. Versace does not find that to be true. <laughs> that's so. probably true. Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) So the first part of that question, they are the same grape, Uh, possibly made in two different styles, possibly the French style might get some – it's probably a little colder climate, might occasionally get some additional treatment in the cellar. But in general, it's the same wine and it's the same grape.
0: Yeah, and and when you see it on American wines – I mean, the difference between Italy and and in France, which in the Alsace region is where um, you find the the most Pinot Gris, um, right. th- there is a, there is a bit of a difference in style. The 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 French. Version might have a, a lusher body. The
1: Italian version might have more
0: pronounced fruit.
1: Interestingly enough, part of that may be because, in fact, that where that where Alsace is, it's kind of in the rain shadow of the Vosges Mountains. It's actually sort of a warmer climate yeah. than many places where Pinot Grigio is grown in Italy. So. Yes,
0: and oddly enough, also uh, it's not exactly the difference in in the U.S. I've heard people describe their Pinot Gris versus somebody else's Pinot Grigio as saying we're making the Pinot Gris style, which is leaner and lighter and brighter, yeah. which is which is sort of Not sort of backwards. Yeah. So so the the truth of it is, boy, you just you're guessing. So Jill, on that part of it, it's there's no guide. Um it is, it's really wine by wine. However, the second half of that question is a good one. That's a really good one. And I didn't actually know the complete answer. So I looked it up from our friend Carol Meredith, who is not only a terrific winemaker, but one of the legendary DNA trackers. Of, well, um, professor
1: of, at UC Davis yes. who spent most of her career there destroying the illusions of people who loved many of the mystical stories of the origin of grapes. Carol is also, by the way, a hoot. Uh, She's a nice lady. Yeah, I like Carol a lot. Um, One of the funny
0: things, as an aside, but one of the really funny uh, Carol Meredith stories, uh, she uh, judged—I spent two years as the chief judge of the State Fair commercial wine competition, and and Carol has judged for us many times. Mm -hmm. And— she, you know, in the sweepstakes round, the very end, where you're basically waiting for wines to be tallied, where you know they still had one more wine to taste. So Carol, because she's like this genial person, is walking around pouring her wine for the judges. Hey, taste this. Taste this. We're going, Carol. This. Sit back down, please. <laughs> in any case, uh, she uh, she really is the is the leader in in the DNA mapping, and it turns out that. It's all it's all the same, all the same DNA, and this is the part I didn't really knew. I thought it was a, a mutated version of the DNA, but so all Pinot Noirs, no matter how different, are, have the same DNA. But mm-hmm. so do all of the wines that morphed off of it. Any of those Pinos, Pinot Gris, Pinot Blanc, Pinot Meunier, they all mm-hmm. have the same mm-hmm. DNA as Pinot Noir.
1: Yep, and 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 so couple of things that are really interesting there. One of them is, how do you plant grapevines? And the answer is, you can't plant seeds because they're genetically unstable. So all of these are grafted off of a single cutting going back a 1,000 years where somebody had a grapevine that they thought tasted really good. And so they started Uh, grafting, these pinot grapes. And of course, as they grafted them and these things grew, they turned out a little different in one part and then the other. So that's how we get all these different kinds. The one characteristic all of those wines have in common is a very luscious, soft texture. Yeah. That's that sexy, silky thing I was talking about. Yeah, the sexy, silky thing. Yeah. So, you know,
0: I don't know the answer to this question, so we're going to have to look this up and find out. So at this stage of evolution... Can there be completely new DNA grapes? Yes. So there, there, yes, something there can, can because, be produced because
1: what can happen is you can plant seeds. Out uh,
0: the seed, and you get it to grow. And right. then
1: you, in fact, Randall Graham, Bonnie Doon, has planted an entire vineyard down in uh, San Juan Batista where he's planted thousands of seeds, and he's going to see what comes up. And he's hoping that out of those thousands of seeds he's planted, he's going to get two or three original seminal. Pinot Noir or Merlot or something else that will be uniquely his, and he is then going to try to make a wine exclusively from those grapes.
0: And by the way, another thing, sort of a fun story about the Pinot world, the Pinots, is that it is um, a—we were talking earlier about it being a difficult grape to farm one of the reasons is because it mutates like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, you mm-hmm. can almost hear it mutating if you walk by a Pinot Noir vineyard. It's yep. there's just the little squiggly sounds going on out there. But it, it changes wildly, yep. and so it is. It, that's why there's all these different Pinots out there. But it also makes it, it from just
1: a pure farming issue. Um, a complicated little sucker. I call it a 14 year old child uh, in terms of a grape because you never know what's going to come up in the morning. I've been called a 14 year old child. <laughs> um, all right, we have a related question. This one's from Ann Sellers in San Diego.
0: And she says, and I like this question, and I happen yeah. to agree with her. Why do so many wine people hate Pinot Grigio? I keep seeing stories about how restaurant people try not to recommend it. And the New York Times had a story trashing Pinot Grigio. I love it. It was out with my friends and everyone had,
1: everybody wanted Pinot Grigio. What's the deal? Well, that's the deal. The minute all of Anne's friends want Pinot Grigio, the people who write things for the New York Times or for other influential newspapers have to show how they're different from the popular crowd. So they have to write about what's wrong with what everybody likes. They have
0: to be miles.
1: They have to be different. They have to be cool. Yeah. yeah. And being cool means you have to say that what everybody's drinking – remember 10 years ago it was ABC, anything but Chardonnay. Right. And you know, it, it happens all the time And and it's just – part of wine as a social weapon. And you know what? When something becomes popular, yeah, you're right. Some of it isn't good because they make too much of it. But there's a reason it became popular the reason it became popular is there are a lot of things about it that a lot of people like get over yourself
0: yeah and this is that's a bit of a, the other part of what happened to marlowe was that it because so many people liked it it became uncool this is, has nothing to do with sideways it was just because right. it's popular and so you know the critic needs to be fight there is something to that in in certain ways which is that as somebody who spent a lot of years as a as a television critic uh, is that uh, you know my, i always felt that it was my job to help people find stuff they didn't they didn't know about <laughs> But I also mm-hmm. felt it was my job to help them appreciate the stuff they did know about, right. and that's part of the problem. Was is right. that that a lot of a lot of critics are, are only on the second, the first part of that, where they're just finding things that you didn't know, and then in the restaurant community, it, it, there is that sort of. You know, it's that thing where we talk about this a lot about that your job is as a and the and the master psalms aren't like this. The great people in the restaurant community aren't like this, which is that they know their job is to serve their customers. Right. But they forget that they think that they're in competition with the restaurant next door in terms of who's cool. Right. You know, and so it's to have something that they don't have. But that doesn't make your customers happy. Right. It just makes you happy. Right. All right. One one more, we have one from Pat Edie in Sacramento. Boy, he asked a complicated question. Maybe we're going to have to take this at a larger depth another time. But cool. he says, how did France become the pinnacle of winemaking?
1: Well, he obviously didn't see the Judgment of Paris. Yeah, yeah. Because if he saw the Judgment of Paris, there were a bunch of French wine experts who were tasting a bunch of wines blind, and they declared that the California wines tasted better than the French wines.
0: Yes, yes, and that is uh, we uh, we yes that, that's that's the complicated reason. But but it became the the really simple answer. The really simple answer, and then we're gonna we'll go in depth another whole time, Pat, which is that it's it's monks and markets. It's that, that the, the— Mainly markets. Well, but there was also— Mainly markets. But there was also this group of uh, Cistercian monks and some others. The, the church was very active in in, um, in cultivating vineyards. But, sure. But the reason why then that had some impact
1: was because of the markets. Well, remember, there were monks in Italy and Spain, too. Yes,
0: but right. So it is the market. So it's you need one. You need, and one, the, you need the both. The real answer to yes. his
1: question is that when Victorian England, Britain, dominated the world, they were buying all the wine and they were determining what would be popular and what would not be popular. And they were and, just
0: across the channel and, and a just very large river that, that take them right into the heart of France. So there was all those things. Yeah. It was a yeah. lot, a lot of stuff happening the, all at once.
1: The, the British upper class made the French wine right. industry.
0: and it, and so you know what happens is like with anything, it gave them an impetus. Not not just to uh, to make wine, but make better wine to, to compete and, with each other and to,
1: and to market it. And so, to market and, it, and you have you know chateaus in and and producers in France who who have a long relationship, and in fact have English names. Talbot. It is also the the very same reason that French food is become sort of one had become one of the
0: pinnacles of food. It was also it was a matter of oddly enough the Brits who have the world's worst food. Well, not so much anymore, but for a very long time. And you know and so the the French but it was i wouldn't want to say stable but it was much more like a uniformity for one of the reasons like italy didn't have the impact on markets was because for many centuries it was such a it wasn't a country it wasn't a country exactly right it a it was country. a little tiny and and, and then yeah. and germany because, while because,
1: because see i don't think the french exported food the way they exported wine so i think the can the analogy with food i think it's a flawed analogy rick
0: no they became it was it was actually much more because of the well some of it is the ties ties to wine but some of it's because as as a country they developed a culture Countrywide, yes. and so it's a—it's a little bit of that. It's not it, that was the other part of it was the as opposed to the fractured and, mm. and that sort of thing. It's—it's mm. it's my argument. I'm sticking with yeah, it. Yeah,
1: you're not sold. Well, you as, don't have me sold, but you don't have to have me sold. Well, you know.
0: I'm not even saying I'm right. I'm just saying that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> we are closing the mail back. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. You can ask us a question at rickandpaulwine.com. Coming back, so when we get all right back, we will have some bad wine writing from some people who really ought to know better. Stay with us. ¶¶ You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Yep, yep, yep. That means it is time for some really horrible wine writing.
1: Hooray! Hooray! So the term I pulled today, because I, I saw this recently in a, in a collection of, of descriptions and wine, uh, wine writings, is a wine that was intellectually satisfying.
0: I couldn't oh, wait, wait. Help. Let me think about that for a second. Well, seconds. exactly. Uh, I couldn't
1: help thinking that the bottle should probably come with a book <laughs> so that you could read about it and think about it. And, and it, it just struck me as being the sort of thing that, you know what? Have we forgotten that this is actually supposed to be enjoyment? Um, wait, wait. We're supposed to... L- you're enjoy- supposed to like wine. You're supposed to drink wow, wine. You're supposed that's, to consume there's wine. There's a thought. That's well, thought. anyway, intellectually yeah. satisfying... To me, intellectually satisfying means somebody who tells a good story about a wine around dinner. But the wine itself, mm, you know, the, tastes you know good. That sounds like to me, you'd really like Bob. He's nice. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: that doesn't make me want to drink the wine, right. right? Well, this description does not make me want to drink the wine either. This is from a winery website trying Uh-oh. to get trying to get me to buy it. Yeah, I love this. In the spring. We planted 355 and 3,555 Merlot vines that were one year old bench grafts. The Merlot clone six was on AXR1 rootstock at the same time we planted 945 Cabernet vines. The Cabernet was a clone from Germany that was planted in the original vineyard at Inglenook, also on AXR1. The next season, we planted the last five acres with 2,300 Merlot vines on 110R rootstock, and we used more clone
1: three and clone six. It sounds like a word problem from the sixth grade. How many clones did we plant? <laughs> yes. I was going to say, doesn't that sound delicious? <laughs> yes. What are no. they insane?
0: What? This is, oh, you know, it's, this, it's a very sad thing and, you know, I'm going to use your line over and over. It's a great line. You don't have to know how the piano's made to to go hear a concert you right, know right. and and this is one of those nobody cares there is nobody on the planet who
1: That's cares right. about this stuff yeah not even not even the guy next door wants to know exactly what you planted in terms of rootstock and yeah, all that just get on with making the wine yes
0: and and then is not going to sell me the wine that was it that was a description of their merlot that wow. was why I should buy their merlot is because of the rootstock and the clones
1: yes. and you know and, and, and it, not only that but they literally totally would you have felt differently if they had only planted 3500 <laughs> 37 you know, you know it lines. was.
0: I, I would have been. I was like, I was thinking to myself, "Thank goodness they went over thirty five hundred because that extra <laughs> five fifty five really made me feel that's, so much better about that, them. Yeah, I yeah, agree. That's, I agree. That was way to go, guys. Um, <laughs> all right, okay. You are listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. When we come back, we're going to have a little bit of history for you. Stay with us. <laughs> have to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. And from those trumpet, those heralding trumpets, that means it's time for us to go back in history with our historic history
1: moment of the week. Cool. Well, you know, one of the things that I was doing the other day was I was looking through a a book called Notes on a Cellar Book, which is by George Saintsbury, that same man whose name was appropriated by the makers of, by the Saintsbury Winery. And he was talking about all the great wines that they, the, the greatest wines of the world when he was writing, which was 100, 125 years ago. And what was fascinating to me was that if you were to ask the average American today, to list the most famous and greatest wines in the world. In many cases, they 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 not only wouldn't mention these wines, they might not even Never know what they were. Them. Yeah, yeah. Because the top wines, yes, you had Bordeaux and Burgundy, and you had Champagne. So those are three that people would pretty much recognize. But then, Hawk, which actually is German Riesling, but back then it was called Hock. Um Well, it was, a, it was a version of German Riesling. Version yeah. of German yeah. Riesling. Yeah. Sherry. Which nobody, nobody in America thinks is gonna be a great wine these days. And the other one was Shot Enough de Pop, which Makes very good wine, but I think very few American consumers would pick that out as, oh yeah, that's one of the great wines. Yeah,
0: it's a that that is a wine from 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 the Rhone region, from, from southern France, and it is. Um, I, I've mentioned this before. I have a friend who loves Chateau du Pop, and the only reason is because he loves saying it. It's
1: a great word, Chateau du Pop. I, I always thought you should you should have a uh, an aged Chateau to Pop that could be called Chateau du to poop to pop. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, good. That's, that's kind of funny. Uh, so so that's, the, the that's point the, of this history That's the, also
0: the kind of juvenile humor juvenile that we humor, do too yeah. much well, we need, here, we need right here. We need that
1: joke to uh, mature a little. Yes, um, we do. But the reason I bring that up is because it shows that people like different things back then. They will like different things in the future. And I just tell the story because I think people should feel empowered to drink whatever they please, whether or not Pinot Grigio is popular with the critic of the New York Times or not. Right. I I agree. I am with you. Totally. Well, I my historic moment is uh,
0: Pinot Noir related, actually, or s- sort of Pinot Noir related. It goes back to 1395 and the attempted I, exile
1: you of- You don't look that old. Right?
0: Yes. Well, you know, it's- uh, well, It's all that red I, wine. It's the, exactly right. It's <laughs> the, pre- the preserving- uh, uh, qualities of red wine. The uh, In 1395, uh, Philip the Bold, Burgundy's first Valois duke, uh, and there were about five of them, four or five of them, uh, Philip the Bold tried to exile Gamay grapes from Cote d'Or, which is one of the key the pieces of, of the heart, of Burgundy, heart of Burgundy. So let's just say from, from Burgundy. Um, he said... Uh, it, was, uh, it was. Gamay was a very bad. This is a quote well, the, with the quote that's been handed down. A very bad and disloyal plant. He said it tasted bitter and ruined the Pinot. So he, disloyal. He disloyal. And he said, you know, by the next Easter, all had to be gone. Wow. Yeah. The farmers, they, you know, they like it because it was hardy. It was high yielding. We well, just talked it. about the difficulty to with grow pinot, than Pinot Noir. Right? Yeah. They mixed it in with Pinot on good years. On bad years, it was all they had. And yep. so they basically ignored the guy. His grandson. Philip the Good. So we had first we had, uh, had the um, Philip the Bold. Now we had Philip the Good. Mm-hmm. He tried forty years later, and they ignored him again. And actually, Pinot Pinot Noir did not become the official grape of, <laughs> of that region until the mid 1900s. Right. So and by what, here's what I like about this story. Never mind the, the kind of the silly idea of that grapes being disloyal. Um, uh, but but I like that all these all of the Dukes were. So we had Philip the Bold. After him was John the Fearless. Then Philip the Good. Then after that was Charles the Bold. And wow. then after
1: that came Mary. Mary didn't get a certain thing. Well, yeah. she was better off And then, than the original king of the Franks who was Pippin the Short. Pippin the Short. See, yeah. there's a... Yeah. There's a... You don't want to... Oh, okay. you, if you're going to be a king, you don't want to be Pippin yeah. the Short. I want to be a Bold. I wanna, you want to be a Bold? Rick the Bold. Yeah. yeah I, you know what? I, I don't think you get to pick your own. About, I think they pick it for you. How about Rick the Cute? <laughs> 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 All right. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Probably not. Probably not.
0: Anyway... There you go. There's a, there's your little lesson. They tried to get rid of Gamay. Gamay actually does still grow in a piece of Burgundy, although we, it's Beaujolais. It's called Beaujolais. Beaujolais. That's yeah. right.
1: And here's a little bit of, of side, side note history, which is the original Charles Shaw Winery, now famous for being two buck chuck, the original Charles. Which Bull has chuck. really no
0: connection to this new company,
1: right? Right. They just the them. original company was in the Napa Valley, and it was focused exclusively on making Napa Gamay. I did not know that part. And they were so unsuccessful that they went out of business. And that's how the current owners of Charles Shaw bought the label for very little money and turned it into one of the biggest brands in America. Hmm. Hmm. There you go. So maybe maybe Philip the Bold
0: should have bought the label. Well, that would have been harder to do. Well, he didn't trust this disloyal plant. Yeah. Who would? I, you know, I understand the plant was running around saying nasty things about him too. Probably so. hanging out with Pinot Grigio. Okay. Yes, those <laughs> two—they are—they are really their trouble. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and we are thinking it's about time to open up our mailbag again. Great. By the way, if you'd like to ask us a question, you could do this next week. All you need to do is go to rickandpaulwine.com. And by the way, don't forget, you can find us on iTunes. You can subscribe for free even. Just click. Just one simple click. So we have two sort of related questions. One is from Albert Hansen in San Mateo. It's a story, but I kind of like this story. A friend gave me a bottle of wine that I put in the fridge to save for when she came over again. Nice. So I'm thinking right of the way, she was more than a friend. I think Albert wanted her to be more than a friend. Yep. We kind of stopped seeing each other. And then we started again. She came over. It's been six months, and I still had the wine in the fridge. <laughs> she she asked if it was the same bottle. Like, that was a really bad thing. I said, no. Like, you think I'm an idiot? <laughs> and I told her, i just gotten it for her. She bought it. Nice. And kind of liked the idea. Nice. So... Here's my question: Is it bad to leave wine in a
1: fridge for a long time? <laughs> first of all, um, first of all, Albert, well played, just well played, played. Yeah. beautifully done. Yes, yeah. this is exactly the way you answered everything exactly <laughs> the way you should. You don't need our advice Yes. Yeah, yeah, you're You're doing, smarter than us, basically. Because I wouldn't have just thought of that. Fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, however, the question he asks, which is, "Is it okay to leave wine in a fridge for a long time?" The answer is actually no, uh, because the vibration in a refrigerator. Those What makes a wine delicious is in in some part those really big, long, complicated molecules that form over time in the wine, and a wine that's in a refrigerator gets vibrated a little too much. In fact, if you look at those wine cold boxes, those wine refrigerators they sell as wine refrigerators— they all have a very specific isolation of the vibration, so they don't vibrate. And that's what makes them different from a normal, plain old refrigerator. Uh, so six months, probably too long, probably kind of knocked a little of flavor out of your wine. But let's put it this way. If she didn't notice and you didn't notice, I'm sorry, but I think you came out smelling like a rose on this one. Yeah,
0: and the, you know we, we talk about storing wines a lot, and, and the truth is uh, it's, that's a little too cold, 37 degrees is yeah. what your refrigerator should be, and it's a little too cold. Um, but in some ways, you could do more damage to wine by putting it in, putting, taking it out, putting it in, taking it yes. out too, so up and down. Yes. Although it is not, so it's not the optimum temperature. So if you had this very dampened 37 degrees, your, your wine would probably be okay but right. but there's all this other stuff going on and that vibration yeah. You know, we we talked in an earlier show about light being a problem for wine and vibration is another. And it's funny because we when most people think about storing wines, they think about temperature. Right. They only think about temperature. Right. But the truth of it is there's a lot of things that can affect it. So if you have this very expensive wines that you want to sign this put aside for a long time, right. should, you know, put them in like wine so refrigerators So wines are, that
1: you're hoping to mature about the time you mature. Yes, I'm hoping. Yes. I'm hoping. So that's um
0: I am actually I sleep in a a bed that's dampened so that I will <laughs> so the, the not vibration. vibrate. Yes. So,
1: but I'm going to take one well, more look at this question. Well, well, one other thing I was to say okay, is that ahead. wine refrigerators
0: are different from regular refrigerators. They are built not to have that vibration going on. Right. Although I have one that is not so good and that is like, – I can hear it turn on and off and oh, on. Yeah. Frankly, i got to get a new wine
1: refrigerator. Yeah, yeah. But. So I want to take one more look at this question because she walks in to the fridge. She sees the bottle and she says, is that the same bottle I gave you six months ago? Now, he interprets this... I know where you're going. He interprets this... Well, okay. to, ...to mean, are you such a knucklehead that you would leave a bottle of wine in a fridge for six months not knowing that it will be damaged? But... She may very well be saying... Are you kidding me? I gave you that wine six months and ago. it's still there. And you're still here because you've been thinking about me for yes. six months. And long she remembered. M- and she remembered. Yes. So now she's thinking, is he stalking me? Is he taking this well, way more seriously than I am? Well, I, I Did see. I break his heart when I left six months before? Well, I'm more the romantic than you. I'm thinking she remembers. She's happy that he has that But moment. she says... Like it was a really bad thing.
0: Well, like is leaving in the fridge part.
1: Yeah, but see, I'm oh. thinking like, oh my god, I gave you know. It's like you mean, you mean the napkin I used at dinner? You put over there in the cabinet and refused yeah. to wash it because it once touched my lips. Well, he said she bought it and kind of liked the idea that he went back out and got that wine. Right, she remembers so well. Okay, so I Albert, so
0: Albert, here's the issue. You can take Paul's. Grumpy
1: old. No, no, uh, Albert. I'm yeah, saying yeah, yeah, stick with your original answer. Yeah. You played this extremely yeah. well. Move on from here. And Albert, I'm saying she likes you. That's what I'm saying.
0: O- operate as if she likes you. And uh, and by the way, if it doesn't work out, we were never here. <laughs> <laughs> we have a simpler question from Pam Mayfield in a- Elk Grove. She says, "I chill wine in the freezer sometimes, very quickly." But I forgot and left a bottle of chard in the freezer for a couple of hours. It was half frozen. Yes, it was. I
1: just let it thaw and drank it, and it seemed okay. Was it? And is the freezer a bad idea? So um, the answer to this is it's really quite interesting because I know one of the few people who is both a master of wine and a master sommelier. There are not many of those. And he actually recommends that if you have a half bottle of wine left over, pour it into a little half bottle bottle, cork it. Put a cap on it, put it in your freezer, and it will stay one, two, three weeks in the freezer unaffected. Wow. So he actually buys into this. And then you put it in the microwave for— No, you do not ever put it in the microwave. (laughs) You just let it thaw out normally. So, so, Pam, you have discovered a secret known only to a very few master sommeliers and masters of wine. I have one caveat. Don't ever do this with bubbles. Oh,
0: yes. Never do that with bubbles because it's going to poof. You're it gonna have will, a bomb in your. If free, you're your lucky, free, yeah.
1: if you're lucky, it will explode in your freezer and force you to clean your entire freezer, which will then be coated with tiny shards of broken glass and and champagne. Yes, or bubbles. If you're unlucky, it will wait until you pull the bottle out and rest it on the counter, and then it will shatter. You don't want that to happen. No bubbles. No beer either, by the way. Right.
0: Uh, you know, And I think what she's asking, rather than storage, though, is chilling, whether you right. whether you should chill it. And it is perfectly acceptable. It's not going to hurt the wine in any way to stick in the refrigerator for 15, 20 minutes. Or the freezer. Or the freezer. I mean the freezer for 15, 20 minutes. Um, what you might want to do is set a timer.
1: Yeah, it doesn't happen at your house because 15, 20 minutes, you're already Who screaming, wait? crying, Who whining, pulling long? at the door that handle. Is, let me in, yeah, let me in.
0: So much time, so much time. All right. Um, but yeah, but, but letting it thaw, and it was totally fine. If you, if you hadn't let it thaw, you would have poured off the water. And the, the the ice would have um, would have actually you put out the fluid it would be much denser because the ice would have then been all the water so you would and you would actually, have made a bit of ice wine
1: and actually what they won't tell you um, when you go to college is that if you do this and you pour out the liquid the liquid is actually significantly White. higher in alcohol because you took the water out so right? you, you, what's yes. behind is the water and what's left is the alcohol yeah. and it's a very cheap and quite illegal way of distilling things should you be so interested yes
0: not that you got that from us
1: no. Never, we, did, we didn't never heard. Of we're you just before. talking in theory here. It's not something we would
0: ever tell you to do. Exactly right. Just like when I give medical advice, do not, There's do a not, scary do thought. not do that.
1: Right. We got one. It's a very short question from Michelle Brennan in Marysville. I, I was born in Marysville. Were well, you really? So I, I, have a deep sense of affection for Michelle already. And
0: well, you know, one of the uh, one of the
1: producers here that we work with, a very
0: lovely woman named Jen Picard, is uh-huh. also from Marysville. Excellent. Family still up there. Mm-hmm. A lovely town.
1: Well, so read her question to us. Uh, it's not that long. Petrol, really? <laughs> <laughs> There's a question.
0: There's somebody who's been around, somebody drinking Riesling.
1: Yeah, and she's right, because actually, although I know it is one of the both petrol and diesel yeah. are considered classic descriptors for older German Rieslings, I never quite get them. I do. And fair enough. I mean, yeah. pallets are sensitive yes, to different yes, that's things. That's
0: very important that, you know, just because somebody gets something and you don't, it doesn't mean it is or is not there.
1: Right. And so I would say yes, some people, when they smell old Riesling, smell, sometimes I get a hint of diesel, I never oh, get I the love petrol. It. You know, it's um, one of those
0: things I really like in
1: old people. Uh, and you know. yet, I understand what Michelle's asking, which is, I'm sorry, I'm drinking diesel yeah. with dinner. Well, that's a pretty legit question. Boy, does that not sound attractive?
0: Well, there's, there's, you know, there's the New Zealand cat piss one. That's not so Thank hot. Thank you either. very much. Yes.
1: What, what is for
0: dinner tonight? Anyway? <laughs> yes, yeah. we are, we are. We have, uh, we have, a, we're eating at the gas station, and we've ca- we've caught a cat. <laughs> we've caught a cat. <laughs> yeah. Now it's. Uh, <laughs> Oh, so man. it is it is one of the descriptors and uh, it, it you know, there is um, there is something in in those older reasonings, but even some others sometimes, um, you know, it, it. it is I don't know what. For me, I got nowhere else to go with it but to to say that mm-hmm. sort of petrol-ish mm-hmm. thing, you know. Um, but there's so many other smells and, and, and flavors and Rieslings that I love. And by the way, you know, this is kind of how our our sense of smell and taste work, which is that if somebody says, did you get the blueberries in there, you'll sort of smell some blueberries. Did you smell, um, you know, raspberries? You might smell raspberries. In essence, what it does is by bringing it up, we tend yep. to focus on it, yep. and it sort of makes that come alive. Yep. So So if you— Tend to like Rieslings. Think about something else. Think, in fact, in fact, think one about of the things.
1: One of the things that Tim Gazer, a master sommelier and a dear friend, he has a whole thing about. He has a whole series mm-hmm. on tasting, and he actually asks you to call out specific flavors and move them away and delete them and see what I else. I have done that with yeah, him. Yeah. It's
0: really fun. Really so, interesting. So you know, we, so we have we do have another a minute or two to say this. What he does, and I love this notion, is that so that you can. S- Taste or smell something else. So let's say you taste a lot of vanilla in something. Right. right? So what he says is, picture the vanilla. Picture it. What do you see? Now, you know, mentally move it. Put it somewhere in storage. Put it into anything that you would consider storage, whether it's a locker or a bag or a corner. Just push it aside mentally, and what else do you smell? What else do you smell? It's a great... Fun exercise, and I yep. think it is, is extraordinarily useful. I really like that. Actually. I,
1: I see this also being applicable in people who are listening to the show because they can sit there and think, "Okay, they should listen to
0: me, and they just don't hear, hear
1: any of Paul." Well, I that's was not thinking a bad just idea. the opposite. <laughs> if I could tune Rick out and just get Paul, I think this show would be a lot better. Yes. Well, actually, many people
0: would like to just put us in a bag and put us aside as <laughs> put well. Put us both out. Yes, but but that's actually um, that is. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I just think it's a really interesting, especially. To to your that. part. Yes. <laughs> well, no, it's a really interesting thing about, about tasting wines. You know, yeah. we we talk a lot about, you know, not worrying about deconstructing wine. Just, right. you know, just drink it and enjoy
1: it. It is one of the but reasons that day. wineries put descriptors on the back label. They're hoping that, that as you the will consumer get reads the back label and says, tastes good with chicken, you pour it in your glass, you drink it with chicken, and it tastes good with chicken. And they say, there, see, I told you so. Yeah. So, but that is one of the things.
0: So, on the one hand, we say, if you love it, you're right. If you hate it, you're right that's a really important thing. But the same time is if you like playing the game, yep. And in fact, I think our show next week is about playing that game a little bit about blind tasting. Oh yeah. So that's we right. we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. <laughs> um but is, you know, it's a, it's a fun game to play. It don't, you know, don't don't sh- it's okay to sit around with friends and say what do you get. But here's if you're going to play that game, I, my suggestion is don't don't let don't let them start calling things out until you get one or two things well i think I've because they're going to make that suggestion and you'll be you'll be all over the petrol
1: i've told you the story of when i do this with my classes if i tell them what they can right. taste in the wine and then i ask them to pick out which wine it is based on my descriptions they have a much harder time if i tell them you just write your own descriptions of what you think is in that wine and then i switch the glasses around they're really good at picking the wines out again sure because they recognize because it and so everybody's they're doing it for themselves yes, not for me
0: yes and you know it is uh, everybody's everybody's uh, taste buds and everybody's olfactory glands or whatever is the sensory they're like your they're like your thumbprint everybody's Everybody's are unique. And so that you know yeah. because I
1: certainly wouldn't want your olfactory glands uh, or my thumbprint. Uh, my olfactory glands look exactly like that by the way. Isn't they they a little have swirl? little
0: squiggles, yeah. Yeah. Um, but a, uh, it, so if you if you smell something, if you taste something, if you don't taste something or don't smell something, it is not that you are a bad human being. It's that your friend who told you they tasted it is a bad human. No, it's that you are you are completely grateful. You are you are completely <laughs> um Ear, just that's how it works. All right, we're going to sip up the mailbag and move on. If you'd like to ask us a question about uh, wine or anything, we're uh, pretty sure we've demonstrated we can't answer questions about wine very well, so maybe we'll give, give something us a else shot at something else. Yeah, well, maybe science next time. Go to rickandpawwine.com. That is all one word Rick and Paul wine. Coming up, we have a food and wine pairing for you. <laughs> Other scenes of bottle talk with Rick and Paul, and uh, because we try to be helpful, we try. I'm not sure we have succeeded. Yeah, we do try. We have a food pairing, and this is an unusual one, but um, this is generally not considered a wine pairing. But I think it is a very fun one to try to pair with. Okay. And I have a slightly, uh, slightly odd but uh, agreeable one for me anyway, which is of course sushi. Yes. Now sushi could run the gamut. So there's the rich rolls with the sauces, and there are the um, the simple the nigiri. I think is what it is, which is right. the, the the shrimp right. uh,
1: shrimp, the fish on the, the... So
0: let's take them and, separately.
1: And then you've also got the spicy stuff. Oh, sure, and there then really spicy, spicy things.
0: Well, spicy's tough. Spicy's difficult for one. Um, so
1: so how about the simpler? Was it's the it's the more fish and rice oriented sushis? Okay, it depends on how much soy sauce. A lot of soy sauce, mm-hmm. which kills the sushi, but I like a lot of soy sauce. Mm-hmm. Pinot Not so much soy sauce? Yes, Riesling, but I would be shot or at least I would I would lose my lose face in front of one of my dear friends, Toshio, who is the sake expert of the world, if I did not mention that one of the wines that goes very nicely with sushi is sake.
0: Yes, and it is a wine. It, it is, is a, wine. a wine. It's a rice wine, so that so we are it. It sort of counts, you know. Darn it, I was I was going with Pinot Noir myself because just just the other night, um, and actually we had a, a, a pretty well made Pinot with mm-hmm, with a nice mm-hmm. little bit of of. Uh, of a uh, back end snap too. So this it had this sort of lush qualities and it went very, very well with everything but the spicy. Uh huh. Um, yeah. So so yeah. so that is um the uh, but the the other thing is is something sometimes uh is something really lean, bright um because we have been on the subject, Pinot Gris. Uh-huh. A really lean, bright, sort of snappy yep. Pinot Gris would do it as well yep. for the for the Nigiri, not for the the, the bigger, richer. Yep. Um, well, that's uh,
1: where the Riesling with a little sweetness yes. would even work with the richer stuff. Yes, so, absolutely. Yep. Yep. And f- but for the, sake, which comes in a lot of different styles, yeah. that would be fun to play with.
0: Yeah, and, and sake is a fun thing. And you know, since we are all about trying other things, and the the, the fun thing about because we, you know, you and I all, all often talk about wine by the glass. Yes, sake by the glass is sake not a hard by the thing. Glass. Yeah, yes. although although be careful, just because the stuff. Is made from rice. That doesn't necessarily mean it's lower in alcohol. No, there in are fact, some it's, really, it's higher
1: in alcohol. There are some big punch. Yeah, uh, it, it doesn't have the same acidity as wine, but it has higher alcohol. Right,
0: and so it kind of it kind of lures you in there, and next thing you know, um, you're letting somebody drive you home. You're letting somebody drive you home, um, and and then of course our friend beer
1: is is there's there's a reason why they have lean beers. There's a reason that the Japanese drink more beer than almost anybody on the planet. Yeah, that's true. Uh, That is it for another round of Bottle Talk
0: with Rick and Paul, our engineers, Matt Piscini. Thanks, Thanks, Matt. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use. If you'd like to ask us a question, we will try to give it an answer, and that's at Rick and Paul Wine, all one word, rickandpaulwine.com. If you learned anything today, eh, we hope it's don't believe anything you see in the movies. There you go. I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially with us. ¶¶